The following is a conversation with Joe, a kind-hearted, hard-working dad who goes with the flow and will do anything for his family and friends. Joe suffered through a difficult marriage, an excruciating divorce, and now severe parental alienation. His story is in many ways one of the most disturbing I've heard so far, yet somehow he keeps a positive attitude, and he's, thank God, now remarried to an amazing woman. We covered a lot, but we will definitely have to have a follow-up conversation to go into more detail on some of the topics we touched. Like most of the guests on this podcast, Joe is just a private individual and rarely ever talks to anyone about what he went through, let alone publicly in this format. Speaking on a podcast like this, even with a pseudonym, is not an easy thing to do. For example, Joe told us a bit about his arrests and that he was jailed. Even though it was all frivolous and not part of any actual crime, as is common in these situations, it's still very painful to talk about. I'm so thankful to Joe for giving these issues a voice. You have a lot of wisdom, Joe, and I'm really happy that I got to speak to you, and I hope to speak to you again. So, without further ado, let's get into the episode. You're listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast, the relationship podcast for from men, single, married, separated, divorced. There's something here for the whole Hevra. Here's your host, Nathan Gettysburg. Okay, thanks very much for tuning in again to the Let's Get Serious podcast with me, your host, Nathan. I'm really honored to be joined by my friend Joe. Joe is a father. Oh, hi, Joe. Joe's already on the line. Yeah. Joe's a father. You are you're happily married to to an amazing woman, and you're active in the community. And life life is uh, life seems great, thank God. But there were there were difficult times that that I, I I would like to talk to you about today and hear about. And I know that you're open to sharing it with on the podcast, which is really generous of you and really commendable. So I'll start you off by just trying to give our audience an idea of of what life was like for you before. So you were you were married. Let's let's go into like your background and how you grew up just a very briefly, like, you know, maybe just the kind of generally. Yeah, so, kind of so I grew up I grew up I grew up out of town, out of New York City. And I came to New York City when I was around, let's say, like you know, my mid 20s. And I ended up getting married. I was considered like a little bit of an older single. I got married when I was 31. And, you know, I got married to somebody who was previously married, had a couple of kids herself. And she was in her 20s. And we didn't, you know, we, we got married and we started our family. And things were a little bit rough in the beginning. It was just a matter of situational, you know, like regular, what regular couples go through. But, but there was, there was a missing part to the story that I didn't know about because I, her, her ex was not in the picture. He had moved to a different country, back to his country. And I never got a chance to speak to him or verify any of his, you know, details or I just heard one side of the story and I believed it and I went with it. And I happened to have been, I was in Oville at the time I lost my mother. I was in the year when we met Mm -hmm. And I was older and, you know, that was the, you know, right after the time the World Trade Center came down, it was a couple months later. And wow. I felt like, you know what, I, I just, I need to just settle myself down and get married. So I didn't really pick up the story too much. There were a couple kids there, young, and, and I jumped on the bandwagon of getting married. Mm-hmm. I realized like early on, we were having like a lot of issues. And some of them were, you know, there prior to me getting into the picture. She had issues with, you know, her parents and I guess her previous marriage and, you know, stuff like that. Like, it can't be fun being 
divorced and single when you're young. So I, I definitely felt for that. I might have been even been a little bit more like, I don't even know forgiving? what the word is, but forgiving, you know, yeah, forgiving, but also, but like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll come in, I'll be the hero a little bit and I'll help out. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had, I had the tools to do it. So I, I didn't feel like I was like overwhelmed, but there was the, definitely the, the tools, because, the tools meaning you mean like maturity wise, you mean like the emotional tools or yeah, yeah, yeah. emotional, mm-hmm. emotional maturity and everything else. I, I felt like I could do it, mm-hmm. but with a willing working partner, you know, I felt like this could be done. But the problem was, like, when we, we got married, I realized very early on that this was not a person that I could share life with. Like, this is just, you know, there's a lot of, like, issues here. I don't want to go into the details of the issues because it's For not sure really not. relevant anymore. You know, we've been divorced now a number of years. Mm-hmm. People change over time and, and life hardens them and, and then they, they work stuff out on their own. So I don't want to put people in a box and say fine you know this is how they are and that's how they are that's how they are forever but at that time there were a lot of very unresolved issues that had we dated for longer i probably would have seen and maybe said no there were signs in the beginning but you know as they say love is blind and i fell i fell it i fell in hard you know what can i say yeah and when you say it was hard, was it that there were rough times? You said, but there was. You said it was rough times, but sort of like normal couples. So normal couples, it's not considered rough. It's just considered. Well, a, well you know, we had of... normal. We had like normal couple issues, but they were complicated by the fact that my my wife didn't start out working, and this was like right away post, you know, nine uh, eleven. So the industry that I was in, I was in the legal support industry, and actually, you know, vying to go to law school, which I never ended up doing. But then I, I chose to go, let's say, like the sell side of real estate, which was very foreign to me because I didn't know any of the, I knew some of the lingo, but I, I didn't really, you know, when you're going from back office corporate America to front office sales, it, mm-hmm. it's very, it, the entire landscape of Manhattan changed so much that law firms just literally you know, quickly like merged or went out of business or there, there was like areas of Manhattan where near the trade center, the they, companies just went belly up very quickly and companies stopped hiring. Like it was a, a hiring freeze on the major law firms. So we kind of got married when I was like at a pivotal point in, in my career where I was about right. to go to law school, but, but didn't, it's very difficult, you know, selling mortgages to being in a, the back, back room of a law firm where you're doing research and stuff like that, analyzing documents. So my wife was not working. She got pregnant right away. Like within the first couple of months, we were married, or Hashem, and we had our first kid a year later. Wow! So uh, yeah, twelve months to almost twelve months to the day of when we got married. So wow. you know, it, it, it like you know the system was working for us. Like we were a married couple and everything, but the problems that we were having we were having a little bit financial related problems, which at that time you know how how am I supposed to eat the cost of taking on somebody else's responsibilities. Like there were two children there, but there was no ex-husband and there was no, no child support. So I had to, you know, even though I was told wow. that, you know, don't worry, don't worry about the expenses, like everything will be fine. But then we had to right away rent a three-bedroom apartment. Like, you know, and and, and at that time, it was expensive for me. I, I couldn't afford it. So my, my yeah. ex-in-laws helped out a little bit in the beginning, for sure. Granted, I have, wow. I have tremendous accounts to tell for that. 
but at the same time, you know, I, I wasn't working because I'd worked in the World Trade Center, actually. I was just trying mm. to get back on track wow. what was going on, so I jumped back in. But it wasn't the same type of the workforce post 9-11. Everything, the landscape changed completely. Wait, you worked in the uh, World Trade Center, uh, up, like including yeah, up to 9-11? I wasn't, yeah, but I wasn't there that day. I had actually gotten, my, my mother passed away in 2001, in June. And I took off from my work. She passed away late June, so I took off July and August. And I was supposed to sit down with my supervisor after after Labor Day, and we were going to discuss the potential options of going to law school, that the, the law firm was going to put me through law school. But that never happened because trade tender came down. They laid off 53 people from that department, and that was, that was the end of it. We actually worked on the sale of the World Trade Center at Two World Trade. Like, that was my... My position was working on that on that deal. That's an incredible. Um, that's a separate episode. That's like an incredible story. <laughs> yeah, it was wow. actually. Well, my mother was. My mother passed away in late June of two thousand one, which was not easy. And like I said, I got married within a year. You know, and it wasn't like I didn't want to work, but but at that time, since you know, since I I took off time, I was supposed to go back to that that place, and and then there was nothing left. Like they. They moved from yeah. that that area, but I mean, the law firm is still around and they're still vibrant. But at that time, laying off 53 people from that department, all the people that I worked with and my supervisors and everything else, there was no one to speak wow. to. So there was basically like just no job there. So I had right, taken right. off like a few weeks of bereavement, but I, there was no place to go back. To, so I had to start from scratch. I took off a few months, tried to do some soul searching, tie up some loose ends with my, my mother, Elisham. And then I, I decided to, you know, to, to make a, a change in my life. And, and that's when I said, you know, I need to get married. Got married right. and then tried to find work. And it was a so, little bit difficult because uh, right. he had a, she had a family rabbi that was, you know, guiding them and stuff like that. And he, he made some promises to me and things didn't pan out the way it the way it should have been the beginning over. There was a lot of issues going on on her end with her family. If I would explain it in detail, you know, obviously I'm not looking to hurt anybody, so I'm not going to give you their names or anything, but a lot of issues made life extremely difficult for a first marriage, you know, for, for our marriage. And, and for sure, if it would have been the first, if it was my first marriage, but any anybody's mm-hmm. first marriage who have gone through what, we were going through at that time was going to create a lot of headache and problems. You know, it was not simple. Wow. And and this was stuff that you should have known or you, you know, people like you feel like people should have told you people were aware of, but they didn't tell you. No, no. Well, in? no, because we, we dated for a short period of time. We dated for a couple of weeks and then we got engaged and then we got married a few weeks later. So everything worked so quickly. Wow. I don't blame people for not telling me. There were some red flags. I, I chose to overlook those red flags. There were, you know, some issues which definitely, you know, created a lot of friction in our marriage. Right. And how long was she divorced at that point? Like, was it was so it? So at that short? point, she was okay. So at that point, I would say she was probably divorced like four or five years. Oh, okay. But the problem was, like, she seemed like she was, you know, well adjusted, normal, except for some rough edges. Well. <laughs> And mm. that's all women, basically, you know? That's everybody, all people. So, right. And, and, and she seemed to have a good handle on her 
two kids that she was raising at that time. So I kind of got the insight to be able to look at them and say, hey, wow, you know, she's going to be a mm-hmm. good mother because she has everything, like, really, like, on track right. here with her kids. But I didn't realize right. that, that that was part of her part of her personality was just being very difficult, you know, with her, with herself. Like she's very rigid for herself, mm-hmm. but rigid and disciplined. I don't know if that's such a good thing sometimes, you know, it can be, but yeah. when you're dealing with sure. children, it's, it's not such a good thing. You know, you don't always have the ability to be so exact and so harsh on people to expect their expectations or, you know, to be perfect. If you come in less than perfect with a person like that, then you're 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 basically puzzled for ages. You yeah. don't have a right to live, and that's not that's not right. You know, you got you got to ease up on people. Yeah. So I saw that's... some red I saw some red flags with the blow ups like that. I didn't think yeah. okay, yeah, I got to really like check things out over here. I just my mother was in the I lost my job. I was thirty one. I wanted to just get married already and just close the deal and. Like great, you know, mm-hmm. she's attractive. She's attracted to me. At least I thought she was. I don't know. You know, she ended up telling me stuff that like made me think otherwise. I think she was just looking like, mm-hmm. okay, there's a there's a missing father here in the picture. So let me just put put another guy there, and then right. ignore him, and then just you know move on with life. And that, that that's that's right. how I felt. Like that's how she made me feel. So the entire time that we were married, like there was stuff going on that was just like, you know, crazy. And, and you know, like I said before, I don't want to get into too many details here because I'm not looking to like knock people. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we definitely just like, it's we generally avoid like any, any real details. Like the, the gist of it is usually sufficient. And, everyone's got pluses and minuses, and, but yeah, but it, it, it just, it, it got to a point where it was unbearable very early on right. in the marriage. But I just figured, you know what, this is my lot in life. I'm stuck with this. I'll live with it. I'll figure out a way to work with it. Fine. So being that we started out, you know, post 9-11 right away, a couple months after 9-11, and then my mother was being nifter, I was in the year, and then she got pregnant right away. And, you know, all these complications, we started going, I started going through Abundam because I started, you know, trying to establish myself with a, a Kahila locally. Like, I, I didn't, I just moved there a few years prior from living out of town my whole life. So I, you know, not growing up in the in, in the New York metropolitan area it doesn't give you that edge to be able to yeah. just fall into, you know. So I, so now that I'm married, I'm like, okay, you know, let me try to establish myself in this school, that school, you know. So I was checking things out. And I just want to say, I just can I, I keep that thought. I just I just pointing out like that. Just as a side note, I find it that a bunch of people I've spoken to so far for this podcast, it's a similar theme in a way. It's it's a, I feel like it's pretty common that a lot of people who go through big relationship related trauma are in places where they're not well established and they don't have a tight connection with a rabbi or a community you know leader slash askin macher yeah, but, but yeah but i think i think in the beginning before i got married i think my issue wasn't really that i think it was more the fact that i'm coming from out of town to the new york metropolitan area and mm-hmm. Just throwing myself in the middle of the, uh, the chalent pot, so to speak, is like not easy. Yeah, you know, that, no, it's a New York world. is not an easy place to to adjust if you don't fit into a very specific, highly specific label. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And now, and now, now you see what I'm talking about with all these apps and everything. With 
you know, modern Orthodox Machmir, modern Orthodox Light, you <laughs> right. know, like, like, right. like, like okay, so what am I, you know, what am I, decaf coffee over here? Like, I, I don't get it. You know, like, how am I supposed yeah. to fit into these labels? Right. So I guess, you know, wear a hat on Shabbos, you don't wear a hat on Shabbos, you go to a movie, you don't go to a movie, like, everything right. is just so arbitrary. Yeah. And even after, even every, after you, even after you select hats, then there's like a sub menu, like, is the hat brim up or down? Exactly. And then yeah. everything changes. Everything changes every couple of years. You know, every couple of years, mm-hmm. the communities tend to, based on what's going on in society, tend to refocus their 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 labeling and and say, hey, you know what? You know, maybe I even heard a rabbi said that in today's society, if somebody says they have a television, they're a, they just have a TV and they watch it there. <laughs> right. You know, right. That's very interesting. Like versus the internet and stuff like that. And then they have people uh, out yeah. there that are like, oh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't do this, I don't do that. And then guess what? They do. They, <laughs> they do all the things. They don't talk. They, they I, do everything. I, I assume just... it, was, it was back in the day, you know, probably in the 60s, it became, when TVs came out, you were at Sadiq for just having a radio. Correct. And then even the radio, probably before the radio came out, it was. Yeah. So oh, they have a telegram, a bunch of Michigan with a telegram. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not one to talk, you know, I'm not a tzaddik, I don't claim to be a tzaddik, and, and, you know, I have my vices, and thank God, you know, I try to keep them under control, I'm not like one of these guys that just, you know, Netflix every night, you know, type of thing, like, I, I try to try to learn a little bit, you know, I try to keep myself wholesome as much as possible, I'm a little bit old school, it's very hard in today's society to, like, not be out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're but, straddling several worlds all of us it was actually one of the qualities that i liked about my ex she wasn't out there you know she was not out there Mm. but you know what can you do like things don't really go your way all the time so i kind of looked at that in my marriage and said hey you know what i'm not going to blame i'll just try to deal but Mm-hmm. Things happened in the beginning that kind of threw us into a precarious situation with, with finances, and we had to move in with my in-laws. Mm, about a year wow. and a half into our marriage, about a year and a half into our marriage, we had like landlord dispute issues, and we were renting an apartment, and a lot of issues with the apartment, and then she she went to court and based in against us, whatever. She ended up losing, but it's irrelevant because we didn't end up winning anything. Like we just. We're able to get our stuff back and walk away without the court case. But for that wow. two year period of time, like a year and a half into our marriage, a year year into our marriage, we we encountered a problem where we had to move into my in laws. Encountered a problem and, uh, like a technical problem or a relationship problem? No, like well a technical problem with the with the apartment. Like the, my my landlord shut our utilities on us. <laughs> oh. Okay, yeah, that's... Well, uh, my wife yeah. was nine months pregnant, you know, so... <laughs> wow. So, we, we, yeah, it was, it was not so simple. Like, we... we, we that's with, we, for, that's uh, with your first to... child together? Your, your yeah, first... yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Nine months pregnant, and, and we had to move in to my in-laws until it got resolved, and it took, like, another year and a half later. later. Wow. And in the, oh, process, wow. in the process of time, we had our first kid, and then she got pregnant right away with our second kid, and we had very difficult pregnancy with our second kid it was like like a high-risk pregnancy a lot a lot of medical issues but marshall that got resolved some of it were just induced by you know the doctors putting craziness in our head and some of it was actually you know real stuff 
Wow. And, 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 and basically, I don't know. I don't know what to I, I, you know, So I here, know. I'm curious. I want to just, I know a lot of people think about this sort of thing or they just wonder. So all this time, you, you were going through an incredibly stressful time. A lot of people go through this. But like if you, if you just walk into Shul in Brooklyn or in Muncie or somewhere now and you just say hi to your friends, there's tons of people who you're going to see who are going through stuff like this right now, but you'll never know. Did did anyone did anyone around you know what was going on? Know what, what you were going through, or were you just playing it? Totally not cool? not not necessarily. We were very good at at keeping it under wraps. My ex is like, she's very good like that. Like you, you know, she's not into talking about her airing her dirty laundry. In fact, I was the one that actually pulled her to. I had to schlep her to go to the therapy. It wasn't you know, it wasn't she didn't want to. Mm. But you know, people who. I think part of the problem was, like, in the end, I think I was just talking to too many people about our our situation. We are getting too many opinions. And I think uh-huh. my, my ex also was, like, in the end, she ended up, like, listening to too many people. Like, I think there's still a possibility, like, not now anymore, but I think back then, I think there was a possibility of actually reconciling had we just, like, been able to overcome a couple major hurdles back then. Mm. But I guess by definition, other people, yeah. if you're able yeah, to overcome the major hurdles. Involved. No, but because he had other people involved, so those hurdles now became instead of two two hurdles, now you have you have sixteen hurdles. But you know, because now you have you have eight people from different sides telling them what to do from all the different sides. Like it's much easier when you have a rub and both of you go to that same rub. That can really, really, really help you iron out a lot yeah. of the issues that could eventually take you down, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We kind of did. We had a rub, but the rub was giving us, like, horrible advice. It was really, really bad advice. And then we went to a, a gadol, like a real rub. It was a gadol Israel, And he, he was since Nifter, you know, a bunch of years ago. But we went to him, and he told us, you got to get away from this rabbi. And we did. We did. But then this rabbi wow. ended up, this gadol ended up getting, like, sick and wasn't able to advise us anymore and then he passed away so wow that kind of that kind of like aided to the fact that like when things got really crazy by us we, we didn't really have a person to go to anymore mm-hmm. you know, these things that the divorce doesn't just happen overnight right for um, sure right it takes a while and then sometimes it creates it, it has its own it becomes its own life its own entity now it's, hmm. now it's you and your wife, and then this looming issue over over your head where you're speaking to your people and she's speaking to her people, but you guys are still married. Right. So if those people have a tinge of anything wrong with them, or if they get jealous that they don't, you know, there are a lot of therapists out there that are just bad. bad Absolutely. I mean, like, really oh, yeah. bad, horrible. I, I had gotten a call from one of my wife's friend's husbands telling us, hey, you know, he was hearing the story third hand from his, his wife, I guess, you know, at night right. in bed. Right. And and then he went to his rabbis. Like, he's like, he went to his rabbis. He said, listen, these people, I know these people, both sides, and they're really good people. What's going on over here? Like, the story doesn't make sense. Right. And his rabbi told him, you know, find if they're seeing a therapist. And he called me up and I confirmed it and, and, and the name of the person. And then and he, he went back to his rabbis. His rabbi said, you got to get them away from this this therapist because theirs has a reputation for breaking couples up. Hmm. From 
considered an Ehrlich therapist. He doesn't have any right. credentials really like that make him a ther- like no legal credentials. It's not like oh, licensed really? or anything. Not licensed, but he has a, he has a shul and he has a following and you mentioned his name and he's a prominent last name. But but wow. he's 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 yeah, he's but he's he's a maven at creating train wrecks. Like when you take a bad situation, right. you turn it into a train wreck. You're also responsible, you know. Right. I mean, he doesn't think it's a train wreck. Obviously, he thinks that it's healthier. I, I imagine he's this he's... this this guy, this rabbi, has wrecked many, many, many marriages. Not not just one. Right. Right. No, but I'm saying if you would ask him, he would say that there were unhealthy situations that he helped. For sure. For sure. Of course. Of. Yeah. Right, so, right. Somebody's coming to me with you know saying they're coming to me with a bad situation. Now they're blaming me that I'm the one. That, I'm not blaming him that my 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 entire situation went down the hill, but. When you're advising yeah. a spouse and encouraging them to get divorced, instead of trying to help the situation and re- rectify and reconcile, and, and it's gotten so bad that Rabbanim in the community, other pulpit rabbis in the community, are, are warning people to stay away from that person, that therapist. Yeah. How do you how do you, how, how do you justify that? You know. Yeah. This guy was taking like real money. He was taking oh. the equivalent of what other other licensed therapists were, high-end licensed therapists were charging, you know? A couple hundred wow. bucks an hour. Yeah. Wow. So Yeah, that's a whole separate like, topic, the, the cost of therapy and stuff. I mean, it's a whole... I, I, I want to do a separate episode on that to talk to people. It's a sad... It's just the reality, but it is sad that sometimes that itself is a huge barrier to a lot of people. And yeah, so it's like what? So it's like what do you do? You know, what do you do? You're you're going to a therapist with a long white beard, and he's yeah, rabbi you end so up and so, going and to he a has rabbi. an amazing name, and 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 then there are all the guys out there that are like these, you know, run of the mill circuit speaker rabbis, you know, right? And right. and these guys, by the way, are also not necessarily. I don't feel that anybody really inherently has like bad midas to try to break people up, but. You have to realize when you're mm, going no. into a situation like this, you can't help, mm. and you say that you can, and then you can't follow up because you have too much going on on your plate, then that's the equivalent yes. of destroying a person's life. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. There are a couple, there are a couple of rabbis that we went to that, that had that scenario, and, and mm-hmm. they, they were not available for us when we needed to work with them to follow up with stuff when things were getting really crazy. Mm-hmm. And it was just because they had too much on their plate, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not okay. <laughs> that's definitely a separate. separate that's another show, podcast. But, we have so many shows right yeah, that are coming out of this one. But but, but, but that's, that's, I, I yeah. feel like I was the victim of all these things combined. I mean, granted, you know, I'm not a tzaddik either, so I, I for sure made mistakes along the way to fuel everything. But but bottom line is, you know, when you have all these, it was the perfect storm. My situation was the perfect storm. That's how it, I look. Yeah, at it. it all it always is. It really. I, I thought. These are there are a few perfect storms here and there, but it's pretty much in every story there's perfect storms, and I mean there's so many perfect storms they can't all be perfect, but they, they are. Yeah, there's so many yeah. factors. But, that, but it was literally like one thing after another was happening right, to right. us where we just couldn't catch a break. You know. I, I just want to I just want to pause on 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 one thing you said with the with the the therapist. I think it's so important. If any like rabbis or any any people who dispense advice are listening, that's one of the themes that I've come across so far, which is that if, if you're not in it, if, if you can't fully commit to this case, then you just have to say that right at the outset. You have to say, look, I, I, I can't commit to helping you or to, or to listening or to hearing all the details. I just don't have the time. So 
I can't give any advice in the meantime. I, I just can't. I, I mean, I could send you to someone else. I could give you like a general idea, but like you, you can't half accept to help someone. It's, it's this is like, yeah, a, see, what, what I have a problem with is even the ones that don't get busy, the ones that give advice. Okay. By the way, now that you, you, you kind of opened up the topic here, you go to a mm-hmm. role for Sean bias advice. It used to be where it was always the guy's fault. Mm-hmm. Basically, the guy was at fault all is. the time. It still is kind of ish, but there are a lot of women who have grown up in very toxic environments that don't know how to conduct themselves properly in spousal relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is that's not necessarily the guy's fault. So not everything can be on on, on the guy's plate. Oh, and then sure. when these rabbis do do give advice, they don't stand behind their mispalim. Like if you if you give advice to a guy and and he's following you the entire time and you're his rabba muvak you know like the, he goes to you with everything, then and then when the guy has problems you just bow out mm-hmm. because you don't feel like helping because now it's going to take too much time or you're worried now that you're going to I had one one rabba that I was very involved with who delivered messages crazy messages and stuff and then ended up asking me if when I really needed his his help. He asked me if, if he needs to hire a lawyer. Like he was just he was just concerned, you know. If he needs he to hire a lawyer, yeah, he didn't care about me. He cared about himself. What What do you mean? Why would he need a lawyer? Because he was worried that my ex was was being litigious and and mm. slapping everybody into court, you know. Mm, so he okay. didn't want to get called into court himself. So he right, decided right. to back out because of that. I, yeah, in that's a way, I kind of get it. In a way, I kind of get it, but then, but then, you know, as a rov, don't give advice, and then take a stand and say, "Hey, I can't give you any advice because I can't get involved when if things don't go, you know, in a straight line. If if there's a backfire or hiccup over here, but now that now that there's a hiccup and then you back out, that's not right. That's an interesting angle. Wow. I mean, I, I think it's that's a uniquely American thing. I think people. In other countries, listening, the UK, Canada, Israel, Australia—it's not as big a thing where like everybody's constantly worried about being sued. I think that's like <laughs> even even in America. I know in America, like like Rabbanim, even like there there. If you Google a rabbi's name, chances are they're named in lawsuits. I'm not not necessarily that yeah, not that they're bad, yeah, nothing criminal, yeah, but yeah, like I mean, financial everybody, disputes. Everyone, yeah, uh, yeah, I've seen it, but 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 that's the. You know, I used to go to a very big Godal. I mean, he, he's nipped already a number of years now. I, I don't want to say anything that, that you know, anybody is, has issues with him. But I found him to be a very real person. And I used to ask him all the time, like, don't you care about these people that are talking bad about you or saying these horrible things in the newspaper? He used to laugh and he used to tell me, Sheker ain't lo rug lion, so why should I be worried about it? Like, Hmm. He, he was very calm, cool, collected, and he was very confident about his his piske halachas. And when he made a mistake, he he looked into it and said, "Oh, I made a mistake." But but there are people out there, there are a bunch of them out there that they'll give you advice on every corner which to turn, and then you follow that advice. And if it, God forbid, gets you into a hole, they're not there to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that was that was really the most devastating part of my divorce. Second to you know. My, how my children felt, but I felt like I was really just let down by the communities, the from communities at large, because no one wants to take sides, so they, they decide that they're not going to stand behind you, 
Mm-hmm. And that's when you need them the most. And they're like, no, I can't stand by you because I don't want to, I don't want to appear like I'm taking a side. In the meantime, yeah. they, you know, I was sleeping on a friend's couch in, in the city and I very often had no place for Shabbos and for Yom Tov and stuff. Nobody cared. Nobody cared to like, right. pick up a phone and call and say, oh, because they're worried they're going to take a side. Wow. No, that's what yeah. they were worried about. Wow, that's such a, that's... like we're taking sides and we don't want to have your ex upset with us. And even the people that didn't say anything, you, people didn't return my phone calls. So it's like, it's like, dude, like you did take a side, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great point. And that's, that's such a great topic. I got to make a note of this as well, just to, you know, explore that, that stage of the divorce. You should really do, do another episode. If you want to have another episode on it, you know what? Well, yeah. I'm sure that every ex-husband has at one point been called you know, bipolar and, and narcissistic and, and, you know what I'm saying? And every guy that's mm-hmm. gone to a kid is, has gotten, you know, has gotten like, you know, wasted once or twice as an alcoholic. Like, mm-hmm. there's just no end. Like, you know, what is that? I mean, in the film community, are, are all the guys really so bad? Every single guy who's mm-hmm. gotten divorced, he's, he's like the equivalent of a, a Russia gummer in all these people's eyes. Like, it's not, it's not yeah. true. Yeah, and you that, have women's support groups, uh, I, I believe, yeah. die all over the place that are, are fueling this. You have from attorneys, quote-unquote, from attorneys. They fuel this as well. They're advising these women to go to Goyesh courts and, and slam the guy into the wall until he believes, you know, shekels, which doesn't yeah. always happen. Not every guy is hiding money. Most guys I know who are going through a divorce are not really that wealthy, and they have to borrow money, <laughs> you know? So yeah, like, where does yeah. it start? Where does it end? Like, how come everyone's from, and the, everyone's like, you know, they're worried about the shaitals and about the bugs and the strawberries, but then what about being a mensch? What yeah. about parental alienation? What about what about having the guy, what about throwing him in, in, into the court system and having him arrested? And like, where does it stop? Yeah. You know? Like, how are yeah. you from just because you're walking around with a long skirt and you wear a shaital? Like, why does that make you from if you're taking your ex-husband to go to your court because you think you're going to get more money out of it that way? Yeah, I mean, that. this is, uh, this is these are a lot of, I don't think we, we have time to get into each of these things for, for this episode, but yeah, I definitely want to, I definitely want to go more into the, you know, the divorce process you went through and. So I'll tell you, so I can tell you my, my divorce thing. So first of all, my, I'm coming from, sad to say, my parents did get divorced when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And coming from out of town, it was, you know, back in those days, it was a very different, you know, pre-internet and everything else. It was a very different takedown when a person got divorced in, in the Jewish, in the Goyish courts. They respected mm-hmm. Jewish people. Judges, the attorneys, even though the attorneys that weren't from, they were still respected from people. What do you mean? But now we, now the courts don't respect from people? No, not necessarily. What, what, very, what do you um, mean by that? You, like what, Meaning they've seen so much craziness with regards ah, okay. to people wearing the costume okay. that, that now, just because you're a rabbi, I'm not, but just because a person comes in with a beard and, and is considered mm. a rabbi, like they, they don't respect them anymore. That's so interesting. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it used to be like you walk in with a keeper. It's like, oh, he's a holy man coming in. He's a religious exactly, man. Exactly. Now, you know, now they the know they, they, all the all the allegations are slung back and forth. They, all these holy exactly, people are all just, right. The the woman. You know, me, you know, guy, you know, you know. guys get arrested and, and have to stay there over Shabbos and you know, the, the court system doesn't care. 
I, I want to I want to get into that with with some guests coming up, but just about how how these these things happen. And no, nobody knows. I never knew about this before I started delving into it. No one talks about it. That's what that's what I'm trying to do on this podcast is like from men who are just totally good men. They're actually good people. They're, they're, there's no there's no crime. There's no alcoholism or strip clubs or anything like that. It's just because of a domestic dispute, because of Sean bias problem, because of could be a totally not. It could be, the you know, a, just a mentally disturbed spouse it's, yeah. It's, yeah. are in jail, are sitting in an actual prison cellmates with yeah. five other with five murderers, basically, or, or gangs. It's it's just, it's mind-boggling. And- so I was I was there. I was in jail. I was there. Wow. Five, I was taken in five times. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, mm. and then I had to spend oh. a year and a half, a year and a half of court-appointed mandatory showing up to a what was considered, I think, like a drug court because they were convinced that I was like a drug addict. And uh, and then and then peri- and then every oh Tuesday I had to show up back in court in real court outside of this program and I used to get these voicemails every week I have PTSD from it with these recordings that if I don't show up there's going to be a warrant out for my arrest you know hard it's like you have to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and take the trains there shaking that God forbid you're late by one minute before nine o'clock in the morning. They're going to put a, a bulletin out for you and come and arrest you again. Like, and they're not, they're not easygoing when they arrest from Jews, by the way, these cops, some of them. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. This is, this I is, in, uh, I was in there for, I was chapter. in there over, over, I was in there for a few days. Like the most, I was in there for like three days at a shot. And on what kind of food, charges? Little, on what? what like, why? They, on they pick- allegation, on allegation charges that that I broke, I violated the court order of protection, saying that I tried to reach out to my kids that were being alienated from me. <laughs> oh my you know, God. it's like it's like it's like you try to you try to reach out to your kids because you know that they want to talk to you, and then and then you can't, and then the court puts mandates this on you because it's just an allegation, and then and then what? You know, like. There's just no end to it. Like they don't have, wow. there's no, oh there's no ability to undo that, that type of trauma of getting arrested. Right. So, the, so just to be clear, like you, you were arrested for, for violating a, an order for you not to reach out to your own kids. Right. For example, I, I sent my, my son a birthday present, but what happened was that I was in, I was incarcerated because of, Another previous violation that she made up that I, there was no way she claimed that that I was driving on Shabbos day down the block in a white van and I dangled a, a, a teddy bear outside the window to try to lure my kid in, which was, was just scary, by the way, because it wasn't me because I was doing kashras in, in a different town 80 miles away and, and, and I got taken in and it was overnight over my kid's birthday and i was trying to you know i had my sister arrange to send my my son a birthday present and she made the grave mistake of sending my son a present via car service so she she just contracted like the local you know candy store and said oh you know what do you have and then she she asked them if they have like stuffed animals and she ordered the biggest one and then she she had it all driven over there from she was in a different town in a different state she had it driven over to my house in a car service and dropped off. And then, then she made a police report about that. And then they arrested me because I didn't follow protocol by sending the present USPS, United States Postal Service. I had it sent via yeah. car service, which wasn't even me. 
was my sister that, that oh. organized it. Like that's that's insane. I, I, I can't. You're getting that petty. Yeah. So she calls the police you know? and says, "Hi, I would like to report a violation of an order which Correct. says." Correct. I, I, I just want to I just want to say for people listening, if if I was listening to this a year ago, I would have said, come on, that, that, that can't be real. They, they, they wouldn't they would arrest someone for that. I have to say now that now that I've been through these things myself, they actually do. It is the, the, the it is actually that crazy. You, you just fact, you can't believe so, how crazy it is. The system is so, so crazy is that that I was supposed to pick up my kids from an appointed designation before we we were just separated we weren't even in court yet and my ex went out and she she was getting an order of protection on me but didn't have one yet so and then she she sent my rabbi to give me a message to tell me not to come to pick up my kids the the day the night before on much Shabbos not to come on Sunday when I was coming already for six weeks picking up my kids every Sunday to visit with them we were separated she was being advised by a, a mentor that was coming from one of these like women's groups that supposedly, you know, the do-gooders of society today. And they, I was like looking for my kid and, you know, frantically and knocking on and seeing no lights on the house and nobody opened the door. And I'm just parked there. And I figured, you know what, let me call the police and make a police report because I really don't know where my children are. I'm really concerned. And I called the cops and, 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 the cops come and I, I come out of my car and the guy's like, whoa, one second, who, what are you doing? I was like, no, no, I called you. He's like, no, you didn't. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, somebody from next door called us. I was like, what? Like two doors down, my neighbor, my ex was hiding. At that time, we were just separated. My ex kid with the kids, two doors down, called the cops on me, tried to have me arrested because this was the shtick that she was advised to do when I was supposed to pick up right. my kids. And the guy was like, he, he asked me for my license. I showed him where I live. I said, I live here. He's like, well, so why can't you go in your house? I said, because they double locked the door on me. I don't have a key. So they banged on the door and my in-laws happened to have been in the house because we were living with them. They opened up the door and they're like, you know, they let me go in and take some stuff and my mail and stuff like that. And one officer pulled me aside. He's like, he's like dude, he's like, if I were you. I would find some place to stay for tonight and a few days. He goes, because he goes, you don't want to be here. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I said, this is my house. He goes, yeah. Right. He says, but I don't want to get a call at 3 a.m. to come to your house and then come and then check somebody out who has like black and blue marks and, and blood gushing blood. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, many women will on purpose knock their head into a doorpost make it look like they were they were beaten up or or have have intimate relations with you and then say that you raped them and then he says and then call me at 3 a.m and he says then i have to arrest you under suspicion of you know rape and, and physical abuse and he's like that's what happens i said how do you know this he goes because i'm going through a divorce right now myself that's what the cop told i was scared after that because i was like what the heck is going on over here yeah from what I understand, they don't they don't even necessarily have to make any bruise or anything. It's it's that that's a, a bonus, I guess, makes the case a little bit better for them. But it's they could just report yeah, anything. People, you, you could just you call and report who, something. Who's, you, you know who's advising them to do this? From, yeah, there are organizations from attorneys, from yeah. organizations like this is this is nuts. This is really, really, yeah. really, really ridiculous. And it's 
the scary thing is the rabbis aren't saying anything about it. They're not coming out to talk about this. You know, yeah. they're standing behind the woman because she makes allegations, which is not right, because just because she makes allegations doesn't mean the guy is beating her up. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes no. I mean, I, I see a lot of exactly. rabbis who just, who just stay off. No. They just stay out completely because they're, they, they, it's just something they know they're not going to win either way. There's just no good. But I lived, I lived with my, my ex-in-laws. I lived in their house for 11 and a half years. That's a separate episode. Okay. Oh, wow. It wasn't my choice. Was 11 years. That's, I, I have experience like that too, but a long time, but not close to 11 years. And it was part, I'll just it was say one to anybody. I'll just say to anybody listening, just just never live, no matter how nice your in-laws are, how they seem, how well you get along, just never, ever move in with your in-laws for more than two weeks. Yeah, two weeks, max. There's got to be a separation of church and state, correct? <laughs> right. If, they, if they're old and sick and they can't live on their own anymore, then, then ask their competent or local Orthodox right. rabbi right. about yeah. advising. And, that's, but, but, and then if they really bother you, if they really start to get in a problem, you could just unplug them, you know, it's then it's... <laughs> Hopefully not, but yeah. But I, right. I moved into we moved into their house because they had they had a big old house and it went into mm-hmm. disrepair and my, my my ex was pregnant and then we had kid after kid and and the rabbis were like you know well, you guys are taking care of the house you're paying the bills and then we fixed the house up I bought the house off of my 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 ex father I paid him off for a few payments and I got to tell you you know it's just not it's not a it's not a good situation to be we do not want that at all right right wow i have to wrap up the episode you know in the next few minutes i definitely want to talk to you more there's just a bunch of avenues that i that we 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 passed that i want to go back and go down first most importantly your experience your because we didn't really get into detail about your divorce experience like you really you really got to see the inner hell i'll say a lot of people get a taste of different parts of it but five times just just non-stop abuse of the system i got the full brunt i got the full That's, brunt of the hell yeah right and and then i only know a little bit about you about about you know how the effect it had on your children and then the alienation that came along with that that still went on and i i want to hear more about it from as we you know in a like when we could talk in a podcast form i, I want to hear and i want you to share i mean whatever you're comfortable with obviously it's so torture. i can tell you offhand just to yeah. You know, the kids are up over here. I'm at this point yeah. a newly married, you know, a father. I'm a father from previous, meaning I have, you know, a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. say three plus, and I don't see them. I haven't seen them in six and a half years. Oh my God. And in, in the course of six and a half years, I saw two of my kids at one point court appointed visitation only after my ex was forced to bring them. For a total of, I saw them for maybe 45 minutes within six months of going every single Sunday and having to hear in the supervised visitation that, oh, oh I'm sorry, you know, you're, you're, they don't, you know, your children don't want to see you. Oh, my God. Ah. So I had to block up every Sunday Gosh. for six and a half months. Could have been more. At this point, I just blocked out of my head. And then just sit there and wait in the room. They they frisked me. They urine oh, tested me. And they, they made me take courses on parenting. Treated me like a criminal. Put me in like a mirrored a room with a two-way mirror. Put in a, a person to sit with me and, and supervise the visitation. 
And, and, and they were I shocked that your kids had... didn't want to come there to, to, to see you. I, well, I, they, 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 because the, the court system is not, you know, pro-Orthodox Jews, they made it more difficult because they said, hey, you know, you have the X amount of kids and it's too many. So we're going to start with the two youngest. I was like, uh-huh. oh, man. So they brought the two youngest and it was like 3.30 in the afternoon, 3.30 to 4.30. So I was forced to like you know, slept two hours with public transportation from where I was staying at that time in Manhattan, be there at nine o'clock in the morning to take a two hour parenting course and hang around the city for another few hours until three thirty, three o'clock wow. and then come in, be subject to being treated like a criminal and then sit there and wait there from three thirty to four thirty to have the supervisor come and say, I'm sorry your kid said that they don't want to visit with you today. That happened for oh, six plus months. Yeah, so the two times that they actually did come in, the kids, they sat with me, they played. They gave me the, you know, like they wouldn't hug me, they wouldn't get near me and touch me, God forbid, because they're, God knows what what people told them in their head, but they, they played and oh they were talking God. about, oh, next time I come, next time I come, I'm going to bring this, next time, you know. So I knew already that this is basically like, this is some level of, this is a new level of like riches going on over here where... The court system is working with the state and they're working with the attorneys and with the soon-to-be ex-wife and everybody's on the same page and nobody cares because clearly my kids clearly were playing with me and wanted to be with me. You could see the way they were talking, the way they were talking about next time and and then next time came, I'm sorry, they said they don't want to visit with you. Oh, how? How did that happen? Why why can't they say it to you directly? Like, Why can't they call you and tell you on the phone? It's total parental alienation, and I was such an idiot because my ex had duped me into acting like that with her first husband when he came around trying to, you know, look for his kids and spend time with his children. So Mm -hmm. I had been, like, a partner to this. She had made me push him away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. while we were married. The first Ah, husband came in out of the country a few times to visit with his children and she wouldn't let them she wouldn't let them and and you were her her loyal husband and you were you know trying to help her until i until i I finally picked up the phone and got smart one day towards the end i was like let me talk to this guy and once i heard his side of the story i was like holy crap this is not this is not new right she has a history of this you know um, i got yeah yeah it's, it's sorry go go ahead then I got nervous and I was like, okay, this is a real problem. Like I had therapists tell me to my face outside of my ex sitting there. If you guys get divorced, you're just going to have to move down to Florida, move to Key West, change your name, change your cell phone number and pretend like you never had children before because she's never going to let you see the kids. Wow. It's it's so, I, I am just speechless about how much this is, this is torture. I, I can't even listening to it. It's just, it it hurts me so much, honestly. It, it boils my blood because it's 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 the inhumanity. And I, a lot of people, I didn't know what supervised visitation. I never heard the term before. So if anyone doesn't know what supervised visitation, it's basically when it's basically there for you know extreme criminals or people who are very dangerous. Who you know we still want their kids to like you know like murderers. Their kids come and visit them even on death row. Like their children will come and Correct. visit them in a special room. That's what Correct. supervised visitation is for. But it's basically abuse that they allow any 
usually women to, to say, I want them to be on supervised visitation. And they just allow that to just to fly. It's like, oh, okay, well, supervised visitation. You know, it just got to can you never be too safe, you know? So they'll just put any, just, you know, the 99% of men on supervised visitation are just regular guys, great dads. You know, the kids love them. And they they have to right. sit in a in a room with a social worker on a clipboard with mirrors and security right. cameras and frisking urine samples. It's and even if even if the kids are not alienated from you, like let's just say they're they're not given bad information about you at all. Let's just say they're not. But when they come into that facility and see how you're treated, how can they have any respect for their father Correct. when their father has to Correct. see them in a little concrete room? It's that alone would would drive any kid away from their father, and it's just Correct. absolutely horrible. And and the fact that it happens in our community, and it, it's 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 all you know hush hush. You know, no guy is, is going around advertising it. It's just so painful. But right, people, we we, we people have. To I am on this. I am on a couple I am on a couple of WhatsApp chats where people do open up, but it, yeah. it's, it's it's gotten to the point where it's it's now become so common with people getting divorced that they're doing this. It's not just women to men it's men doing this to, to women it's a mm-hmm. little bit scary what's going on out there and and I, I can't read it anymore i can't even read the posts because they're just so painful right i mean i what one of the things that that bothers me is that i never saw these kind of posts i, I mean i wasn't in, in this parsha really but i didn't I, like you know i read the the mainstream jewish media i i never saw anything like jewish press or mishpacha magazine or you know the 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 yeshiva well, there words. are there are articles there are time to time there are people that write in the the what's called letter to the editors and and there were people that did you know stories about the mishpacha and and the five towns jewish times and jewish press and you, you do see stories if you do some searches you'll you'll come up with some stories here and there but it's not not widely pub- publicized like people are more yeah. worried about the fact that the shaitals are too long, or people are on the internet, and you know, <laughs> right. like they're they're making right. enough FIFA with twenty thousand people spending millions of dollars, and then right. and then and then you have out of those women who are coming out of that FIFA empowered now that they're going to shut off their Instagram. How many of these people mm-hmm. are 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 flipping their 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 husbands or their ex husbands through DNA arcos and and doing parenting alienation like? It just it's rampant. It's about even like I'm on I'm on let's say three different chats. There must be two hundred from people within the tri state area that are on these mm-hmm. chats. Mm-hmm. Total. And and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Right, right. Yeah, there's I know people probably who many left hundreds. the fold of from kite from this, this, this kind of stuff because how can you walk yeah. into shops feeling like a mensch, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's it's really the worst. It's 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 hard to imagine some something more painful than having your kids, your own children, just torn away from you. And very, very, it's, it's probably the worst pain because you don't yeah. have closure. Right, right. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that people who lost children that they're not going through. Yeah, pain. you can't compare but, it. It's just it's it's not a. There's a totally there's different no, types no, of pain. There's no closure. Wow. There's no closure. You know, right, right. An ongoing open wound that you know I I, I can't compare it to somebody in who lost children like in fires and stuff like that. But it's mm-hmm. an open wound that doesn't ever shut, and it's 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 painful. Sure. You're walking down the street, and you see a kid, you hear somebody saying "Abba," and you turn around and you see that kid run to his father. You're like, oh my gosh, I, that kid looked like my kid. I thought he was wow. calling me. Like you have your right. PTSD. 
20,000 times a day. Wow. Right. With stuff like uh-huh. it, it's painful. Like there's no, there's, no, you know, there's no yeah. Deal. And you mentioned that you know, people going out of the fold, they can't feel like a bench. I mean, imagine going to show and you see all these kids with their fathers. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, I know, if, I know in my experience, it's hard to go to, sh- it's hard, you know, just to go to show and see that I, I can, uh, you know, that I felt, I feel it firsthand. It's, it's so painful the weeks that I don't have my son. And I'm one of the, in my case, I don't want to go into my, to my story, but I feel so like guilty in a way when I hear, because I see my kids more or less regularly, not nearly enough, but when I hear stories, when I hear you haven't seen your kid in six years, it's just, I, I, I can't, I, I, I'm just so sorry. And it's so horrible. And it's, I, I hope, I hope people at least hear this and you know, there will be change. It, it will happen. I mean, I think there's other situations, you know, in the firm worlds, for example, let's just say sexual abuse used to be not talked about. It was not even considered that bad. It was, it was bad, but it wasn't like we have to make a whole right. big deal out of it. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the victim will get over it. You know, there's no, they weren't punched or anything violent. It's just eh, whatever, a little touch and they'll be fine. It took not, time. Yeah, it took not- time not like that you're right and I, I i can't compare it to sexual abuse because thank god i, I don't know anything from yeah, it yeah yeah you can't compare these kinds of abuse and kinds of different kinds of pain but I, it's just the fact that you know as a community we're going to eventually appreciate how how painful and how damaging this, the, these kind of situations are it, it will happen it's just i i hope that i hope this podcast plays a part in that because there's there's not that much else going on in that field and that we really have to community also has to has to get a little bit more involved and stop Absolutely. saying how stop saying how oh don't worry wait till they're 18 because that doesn't work yeah exactly wait, wait until that. they're 18 doesn't work i've heard that and yeah. and and saying that they'll eventually don't worry they'll eventually come back to you that's also not so simple because they could mm-hmm. not come back to you for 30 40 years mm-hmm. and and then a lot of damage was done in the process and they have to stop turning a blind eye and saying it's okay. Like, I think that if these women knew that there was a price to pay for doing this, oh, you went to Dina Arakos? Great. So you know what? You're put in harem now. No from guy could ever date you again because mm-hmm. you violated halacha and you went to Goyesha court and, and you had them arrested yeah. under false pretenses. That should be made yeah. public. You know, we should know. You should know if you're going out with a divorced woman, how she treated her her, her ex-husband. And that Absolutely. she alienated the kids yeah. from him. And maybe yeah. the school should get a little bit more involved also. And say, hey, you know mm-hmm. what? It, it's not, what you're doing is not right. You're hurting the children. Like, they're, everyone's all about the welfare of the children. It's great. But how do you think this affects the kids to see their mother doing this? Yeah. So that, that's, yeah. Not, that's not healthy. Why? Why is anybody standing up and, and for the kids and screaming? Hey, they were made a yasum over here, <clears throat> and the community still stands behind these people. If you have to shut the school down, and say, hey, that's it. You can't send your kid back to the school until you own up and and, mm. and let the kids see the parent. Or I would like, say, be- I would say the school should just be maybe more active in in making sure that a kid has access. Like the kids, the, the parent, the, the, sorry, the school could encourage the children and say. Hey, did you talk to your father or, or just, or, or, I mean, you know, it's, it's a delicate situation, I guess, because, you know, the father be doesn't want to be involved. In, a but separate based in that that's allocated towards just checking out if there was a real situation that warrants 
Right, right. Meeting. right. Meaning, if the guy right. goes off the derech, if he's really on drugs, if he's really an alcoholic, but you don't passle yeah. somebody because they became an alcoholic. You you work with them. Yeah, even that, even that, it's not a, it's not a crime that 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 would where the punishment would be loss of children. I mean, unless the children are in a dangerous situation, or and, and like, and like uh, you said so, before, yeah. like you said before, even criminals on death row they get to see their kids. You know, me, you know, me, you know, me fathers I know who paid child support, including myself, and, and do not see their children. Oh, that's that's a whole other infuriating angle. It, I, it, I I didn't even realize that. Nuts. Yeah. You still have to pay Correct. for them. You have to you have to send them money. Well, I and guess you send money to their than, mother. I I think in, right, but the, in New York State it goes to the state, and if you owe more than five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, I forgot what it was. They 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 suspend your driver's license. They prevent you from getting any professional licenses. They suspend your ability to travel by not letting you use a passport. They revoke your passport. Wow. And there's a, there's a warrant out for your arrest. Wow. A little bit ridiculous, it's, but yeah, yeah. They, they they knock you down so you don't see your kids. Then you can't work, and then when you finally do get a job, it's not enough money to pay for the child support that they mandate against you. Because why? I don't know. They're they're able to mm-hmm. like mandate crazy amounts of money, and then what happens is most of these guys never get back up again. I have right, yet right. to see the guys financially get back up. Wow. It's yeah. Very hard. Without seeing their kids, you know, and 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 then how do you function as a father and be that role model for your kid when you're so beaten down? You're Correct. you don't have you don't even have a, a a normal house to bring them to. You're embarrassed and, by and your my, living and, situation, right? And my and my oh. wife now just to deal with the fact that that I'm a crying baby every day when these things happen because I can't function properly when I'm seeing other parents interact normally with their children. And right. I don't know where my kids are for the summer. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! Your wife's your wife sounds like an amazing person. Oh my wife now, yeah, yeah, she she's a pretty amazing person. She is. <laughs> right, right. But I'm not. I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying that my ex-wife is a bad person either. Yeah, I'm saying she's as, doing she's doing yeah. she's doing bad, evil things with a very, very misguided mm-hmm. purpose. She doesn't realize that this is really just hurting the children, and it, it, it hurt her oh, own yeah. kids. Like her, they, her older they, they kids, never realize. they're not. Yeah, that's, that's it's not the way to conduct yourself. You, you can, the marriage ends, and and you have a problem with the spouse. I get it. Okay, you hate the person. I get it. Okay, nobody loves their their divorced spouse if they can't live with them. It's, it's there's a lot of hurt and pain there, but to go take the kids and use them as weapons. Yeah, a lot of misguided problems yeah yeah all right well we'll we'll stop it there for today this was an uh, amazing conversation and i hope we'll pick it up again we have a lot of other things to talk about and we barely even really got into the parental alienation process and how it played out for you and i i i do want to talk more about it i mean we we there's i'm just so sorry for what what you went through and what you're going through and thank you I'm going to keep you in mind and I I hope I hope by some nace that things could turn around. It anything could turn around at any time and you're an amazing man and and I hope your kids your kids will see it one day. I know it's uh, people tell me that too. It's 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 actually really annoying when people mm-hmm. tell you but yeah. but <laughs> but like yeah, it's hard it's hard not to say cuz I really do believe that. I really do believe that. I believe it in my situation too. I just don't want to hear it from other people as a 
as like, oh, it's, don't worry. It depends it'll be also fine. how they're. It depends how they're how they're saying it. If they're saying it in a right. way that's kind of like brushing you off, then it's then it's meaningless. Right, and it, right. It hurts, you know. But if they're saying it with meaning, so then you know you can take it that way. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining, and thanks so much for sharing your story. It's extremely brave, and and uh, it really will make a difference for people. I know there's people listening who are in these kind of situations right now at the early stages, or you're providing so much from your life experience and it's really and I still believe in the institution of marriage <laughs> yeah you're remarried and that's incredible that's incredible a lot of guys yeah. are just don't get there for a long time if ever and that's another topic we'll, I want to talk about second yeah, marriage a lot of topics that. okay. a lot of topics <laughs> yeah okay thanks so much and have a great have a great day and we'll talk to you next time you're welcome take care okay bye bye Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Help us reach more men in our community and help them navigate their relationships and build the best lives for themselves and their loved ones.